You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. So we don't do a lot of interviews on this podcast, but this one we had to do. So Alex Formosi, founder and CEO of Acquisition.com, which is a company that's super determined to invest three in three to $50 million per year companies and help them scale. Uh, he's got a portfolio of businesses right now that does over $85 million a year. I got this from his YouTube. I'm so used to it now, by the way. And he has nothing to sell you. So <laughs> it's the best part. I mean, Alex... You know, I hung out with Alex and Layla, his wife, a couple of weeks back in Vegas. We hung out for the whole day, actually. So I got my load of Alex and he is the strongest man in acquisitions. Ah. He'll show you. So is his wife. But anyway, man, Alex, why don't we go through your origin story first, just for the people that don't know you. And then uh, let's just nerd out on stuff. Yeah. Rock and roll. So um, Vanderbilt, three years, did management consulting for two years after that. Hated it. Hated my life. Was like standing on the edge of my balcony. I was like, is this all there is? friend of mine was like, you like fitness, you should do that. At least you won't kill yourself. And I was like, good idea. Drove across the country. 36 hours later, I was in California, interviewed a bunch of gyms. One guy said he would let me work for free, learned from him, started my first gym, scaled that to six locations in three years because I had a different acquisition model, which is actually one of the underpinnings of how every company we've had, we've scaled without outside capital. So we've been able to maintain 100% equity and scale each of our companies to a couple million bucks a month within the first year without taking on money. So I can talk about that process later. Anyways, open the six. Then all these gyms started reaching out to me being like, Hey, can you help us do what you did? And so then I did turnarounds. So I flew out and we do turnarounds on gyms. We did 33 turnarounds in just under two years. That business started to get logistically painful because we were not at home at all, which is you know, not fun. And I also had a in the field sales team that was flying out to different locations every month and their wives were trying to divorce them. And it was like, okay, you know, maybe this isn't the best model in the world. That's when we switched to licensing. And that's when everything took off really. You know, up to that point, we were probably doing you know three or four hundred thousand dollars a month. You know, it was a small up and coming business. But then in March of 2017 is when we switched to licensing, and that next year we did 28 million, which is pretty nuts from a growth perspective. And then you know, then we started our cell phone company the next year to sell into our distribution base. So at this point, we were selling 100 new gyms a month, which is you know for a niche, relatively high number. And so we were building this distribution base. Then we dropped in the supplements, and then the next year we started our software company, which is to help those gyms work leads. Turned out it was better for agencies to help all small businesses. So we ended up carving that out and then selling that off. And we closed that deal a few months ago. And in 2020, we uh, bought interest in three other companies. So now we have six. And so, yeah, that's where we're at. That's awesome. And I'm sure a billion people have interviewed you already. So those of you all that want to learn more about Alex in general, I'm sure people, there's a lot of podcasts out there already you can check out or on YouTube. But I want to talk about kind of just how Alex thinks in general, and just we're going to jump around here. So before I do, though, I forgot to mention the book, $100 million offers. So maybe we can start there first. What is it? It's free $10. What does it look like? 99 cents. So Mm -hmm. anyone can afford it. And then if you want one of the like, that's for the Kindle, if you want the audio, it's whatever Amazon, you can't change, you know, you can't adjust the pricing for Audible. So I think it's 13 bucks. And then um, the hardback, I think is 20. Got it. I think that's a must read book. I mean, if there's any action item from this podcast, just freaking get the book because a lot of life is really about making offers at the end of the day, right? So what is prompting you right now to go hard on... Because that's not the first book. You have multiple books planned. Feel free to talk about those. But you're also going hard on YouTube. And that's probably one of the faster growing channels right now. So what's the kind of grand plan with the, that's media play over here? I think a lot of the growth is coming from the intention behind the content. I think people can kind of feel it. It all started when I was like, we were writing out our wills. And I realized I was giving away all the stuff I'm accumulating now anyways. And so I was like, huh... 
well, this is kind of silly. <laughs> and so I was like, well, what's more valuable? You know, like Naval Ravikant's thing of like permissionless scale. And I was like, well, I can give away money, right? And that's one aspect of leverage. I was like, but there's way more leverage on me sharing the experiences, skills, and stories that created the character traits that I have that, you know, to a certain degree created our material success. And so I was like, I can share those at much larger scale. And so that was kind of the the catalyst behind starting the channel and, and writing the book. And there's also me, like I didn't have, like my gyms that I had, my chain of gyms were pretty good. You know what I mean? They were pretty good gyms, but there are plenty of things I could have done better. And so I think that the reason starting the licensing and then creating it the way we did, which is we always, every month we do one beta test on one specific part of the business. So it'll be, it could be an offer change. It could be a different media channel we're looking at. It could be a referral strategy. It could be a attention strategy. We'll try one thing every single month and we have for five years to improve the model, which is why the business is now. So the average gym now makes as much as my best gym did five years ago. Wow. Right. So it wasn't like a me thing. It's a model has improved over time. And so now I feel like I understand that model inside and out. And there's less things there that like we don't understand. And I feel like right now I have this new kind of curiosity piece because now we've taken three companies from zero to 30 million ish in a very short period of time. I was like, man, it'd be cool if I could do that with like 100 businesses. Because I feel like that journey isn't super well documented of like three to 30, three to 50. Once you get 50, 100-ish, you know, then it's like, it's really just corporate. You know what I mean? It's really organizational strategy and all that kind of stuff. But like that rapid growth phase that happens where everything is just chaotic, I feel like that's not super well documented. So I was like, man, it'd be cool if I could write all the stuff I know that got our companies to, you know, 20 or 30 million, attract those people, and then participate in that process and then be able to document it so that hopefully, you know, when I die, you know, Benjamin Franklin said, in order to, to live forever, you can either do something worth writing about or write something worth reading. And so... Hopefully, the books that you know I plan to come out with uh, will be worth reading. Awesome. And how many books do you have in the works right now? There's 10. Two and three are actually done. So I actually wrote them. I think I told you this at dinner. I wrote the third one first, which was on money models, which is probably my favorite thing in the world. It's just monetization structures. Like I love it. But then I was like, man, we can't talk about money models until they have leads. And I was like, all right. So I have to do lead generation is the really before this. So I wrote the lead generation book. I was like, shit, they're not going to get leads unless their offer's good. Because if their offer sucks, they're not going to get leads no matter what they do. So then I wrote the offers book. And so the offers book was actually the third book I wrote, but the first book I released. Yeah, I think it's so smart. I mean, the cycle that you're creating right now, or the, like, the top of the funnel, whatever you want to call it, is people coming through and they get to learn from you. And the ones that are really serious, who have those three to $50 million businesses, you actually have a lead form on your site at acquisition.com, right? Where they can reach out to you. And so I think that's super smart. And going with the no sale, like if you think about your model, Model and Gary V's model, right? He's got the whole VaynerX, the Vayner talent stuff. It's a very long play. It's not like, let's try to monetize the people very quickly. And I think you and I talked about this, where I think the struggle that the kind of Achilles heel for internet marketers is let's try to make money, 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 me, 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 right? But your model is very much, you know, it's we, like, how can I help everybody? Yeah. And I think the other piece is like, I had a, it's so funny because I had, a, I was on a podcast and someone's like, what about all these people who are going to like use your courses and read your books and not ever work with you? And I was like, so you're saying that people just benefit from the stuff that I made? Like, I think most entrepreneurs say they want to make an impact and like want to leave a legacy of some sort. That's usually some underpinning helping people. It's like, well, I'm helping people. You know what I mean? And that's good enough for me. And if, if I never get any deal from it, I enjoy the process. I mean, we're probably in a similar, like I don't really need it anyway. So it's more just the game. Yeah. 
Exactly. So talk about models, right? So mental models, how you think about things in general, you come from management consulting, you've also learned from the internet marketing world. And then you've also picked up, you know, stuff from the world of SaaS as well. You talk about learning from the mall Ravicon, and that typically doesn't happen where we're trying to pull from all these different worlds and pull the best parts. So how do you think about that in general? Cause you can, you're very dynamic in the sense that you can kind of jump around. I think that this is me borrowing from the ball Ravicon here, but like we get, I think we get our asymmetric advantages when you can pull from like six different things. And there's so few people that will have their hands in hardcore direct response marketing and media arbitrage, right? And then really understand how to build huge sales teams to something that I, you know, I had a skill set, which I learned when I was managing my six locations. I knew how to scale sales teams, right? And then, you know, learning about software was one of the most challenging, but also rewarding things because. This is a total side note, but I think it's worth getting into is like software as a service, right? SaaS, everyone like some of the, everyone forgets like what SaaS even means, right? It's software as a service. And so, so many service businesses, right, should benefit from all the quantitative metrics that SaaS are sorry, how quantitatively driven all the SaaS content and founders and VC stuff is because you can apply everything to a service business. It's the same. And so, just because you don't have the code background doesn't mean you can't make the decisions and use the data that those people are talking about. And then hopefully eventually productize, you know, elements of the service into something that, you know, becomes less operational drag and scale bigger with better margins, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Right. So I think what I'm seeing is most people are just stuck like, Hey, like I'm in this industry. And I think what's lacking is the open-mindedness, right? That's what it is in my opinion. Yeah. And the willingness to change your mind. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Like my viewpoints on marketing, I couldn't even like have had such a dramatic 180 degree change over the last five years. I used to basically think that if like it was all marketing and sales and nothing else mattered, I might be too far on the other side of the pendulum of like all that matters is product right now. But that's kind of where I'm at now because I'm like, it might be probably because you come from the same world of like, if you know how to promote, you know how to market, it's like, well, obviously we're going to have a good hook and a good offer. Like, so I don't think about it much, but it is still happening, which is what creates the balance, even though in my mind, I'm overemphasizing product. But like this book was one of those really interesting things. Same thing with the YouTube is like, like this book right now sells 800 copies a day with no funnels, no ads, no nothing. It's been a refreshing lesson for me because I wrote the book with the intention that if it's not good enough to be shared from one person to another, then why would I bother promoting it? Because people it. told me it wasn't that good, like without, because they don't want to share it. So I'm like, why would I go push it on people if they don't want it? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So. And you still aren't really pushing it right now, right? It's kind of pushing itself because going back to your book, the freaking title of it, it's a really good offer. It's a fucking good book and it's only 99 cents, right? Indeed. And it comes with a free course. Better than your $2,000 course that you get with the downloads and the checklist and the swipes. Yeah. You don't have to opt in for it. It's all there. You can just go watch it. Yep. Which I stole from Neil. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that's totally fine too. It's like you and I had the conversation too. It's like your site looks similar to Neil's, but it's like if someone's already doing the work, they're optimizing already. There's no shame. And I mean, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, right? And people don't care. Like, yeah. unless it's like you're really like you're caring about all the little things, which probably means you think really small, but it's not a big deal, right? So the reason I looked at Neil's is because I know he does so well on inbound. And so I was like, well, if this whole thing is built on inbound for deal generation for us to, you know, participate in companies, I was like, well, I'm not going to try and reinvent the wheel here. Yep. You know, yep. well, it's obviously, you know, things around and, you know, the business model is not selling SEO. It's, you know, acquiring companies. So it's different, but you can still use some pieces of it. 
Right. Yeah. Practicality at the end of the day. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about the book or maybe just one segment of it. So people get a taste of what it I just go spend the 99 cents. So the hundred million dollar offers, I mean, what would be the perfect, the best example maybe of a hundred million dollar offer that you've ever seen? How about I, t- I walk you through three offers that I've created over Let's do time. It. So the first one was a B2C weight loss offer. I mean, this one offer is what launched the licensing company. And it also is the thing that filled up all the gyms that I had. And so we ran a free six-week challenge. And the actual challenge would come with everything you need. So it was grocery lists, food preparation instructions, eating out guides, accountability buddy, different coach who'd meet with you every other week and check in with you for every workout you're supposed to attend. And at the end of the six weeks, if you lost 20 pounds or more... And so the way it works is we put $500 down to do the free challenge. And if at the end of the six weeks, you'd lost over 20 pounds, we'd give you the money back. So it's a huge incentive to lose the weight. And the reason that it worked, and this gets into the money model, right? Is that someone would come in for the free thing. They would get sold the $500 you know, challenge. The next day, they'd buy on average $250 of supplements. So that covers all my acquisition costs, all my onboarding costs, etc. I was already positive just on the nutrition consultation. Three weeks in, we would then upsell a year-long membership, we take the $500 and say, Hey, if you want to just basically check the box and say, Hey, I'm good staying for the long haul because I just don't want short-term results. I want long-term results. Then we'll credit the 500 to the year. right? And so then we upsell the continuity in the back. If you follow the money, right? within three weeks, we got 500, 250, and then we got down payment on a membership. And that was in the first three weeks. So if you're looking at it from a cost of acquisition standpoint, it's like we'd acquire customers for $30 and we'd be generating over 1,000 in the first 30 days. right? And so that's why it was wild. And so that was the irresistible offer, right? I mean, like, if you hit your goal, we'll give your money back. Now, we are the ones who have the advantage. Like, and every business has this advantage is we should know the customer journey better than the customer. We should know the problems that are going to occur after the solution. Because every, you know, every solution creates new problems. So it's like, if we, can, if we have solved this problem 100 times, then we should know what next problems are going to come up. And we should solve those ahead of time and make those the upsells or, or merge them with the original offer so that we can get what we ultimately want. So it's like, when they sign the paper, they're entering our mousetrap. So anyways, that was uh, the first irresistible offer that you know killed and you know made billions and billions of dollars across the gym industry. The second irresistible offer was when I was doing my turnaround business. So I just didn't want anyone to say no. So I said, I'll just I'll do everything for nothing. You pay five hundred dollars just to reserve your date that I'll fly out my you know my flights and hotels for a month or more than that. But I just wanted them to reserve the date. And the deal was I would spend the money to fly out, spend the money on marketing. We would work the leads and we would sell the people into their gym. And in exchange, we got to keep all of that upfront cash that we would collect. And then after that, they got the customers free. So the question was, do you want 100 free customers? Right? It's very, you know, like, yes, uh, I'm okay with that. Right? <laughs> and so that was the kind of second irresistible offer. I mean, I could keep going on this, but you'll notice that the continued themes kind of go around the four value equation variables if you want to hit on it. So for everyone out here, like I got really sick of people saying you need to provide value. It's all about value. But no one ever took the time to define what value even means. And so within the book, I put in my equation or my best bad guess of what the value means. And so I see it as four variables, two on the top of a fraction, two on the bottom of the fraction, right? Numerators and denominators, everyone can remember. So on the numerator, the first thing is the dream outcome, right? Which is what does the person actually want? So in the gym example, I wasn't trying to sell a membership. No one wants a membership. They wanted to lose 20 pounds, right? And they wanted to lose it in six weeks. And so that was the dream outcome. So the reason that that's the first variable is that if you're comparing between industries or categories, in general, like if I'm talking to men and I say, I can help you make a million dollars versus I can help you have a six pack, most guys will value making a million dollars more than they will value getting a six pack, which is why the entire category of making more money tends to be higher priced, right? So if we're comparing between categories, the thing that is most aligned with their dream outcome or what will ultimately get that person the most status 
is going to be the most expensive in general, right? But if we have two products in the same category, we'll use the weight loss example, and one's a $9 ebook, right? And one's a $50,000 cool sculpting liposuction surgery. Why do you have such a price discrepancy for ultimately the exact same outcome, which is a six pack or feeling good, you know, with your stomach? The answer is the other three variables. So the second variable is perceived likelihood of achievement. So this is again on the top. This is the numerator. Our goal is to maximize this. So we want to really accurately depict the dream outcome. It's something that's going to massively increase their status. The second piece is what's their perceived likelihood of achieving that if they purchase the thing, right? And so here's the example that I like to give. So if you have two surgeons who are going to do this liposuction surgery on you, right? Or your wife, whatever. And one of them is fresh out of medical school. And this is the first surgery they've ever done. And the other guy, this is this 10,000th surgery of this exact same surgery. Which of these would you rather go with? Obviously the 10,000. Which of these would you be willing to pay more for? Obviously the 10,000. In fact, you probably make this guy pay you to cut you open for the first time, never cutting someone. And here's what's kind of hilariously scary. Every doctor has a first patient they cut into, right? And that person did not know, <laughs> right? And so that difference is based on the perceived likelihood of achievement. And that is prior to the purchase. In a very real way, the likelihood that we think we're going to achieve something confers true value to the price of the thing we're buying, which is why over time, if you get better at the thing that you do, your prices should naturally increase because you have a 10 testimonial price and there's a thousand testimonial price because the perceived likelihood, the risk, the downside risk of not achieving is goes down. So those are the first two variables. The third variable, and this transitions to the different category, which is the negative side, right? So the first two variables are all about maximizing upside. It's big dream outcome, high likelihood of success. And this is where most of the direct marketing community stops. That's it. They just only focus on bigger claims and more testimonials, bigger claims, more testimonials, right? But the other side of the equation, the bottom side, in my opinion, now that I feel like I've weathered, I've done a couple dog year cycles in the entrepreneurial space is actually where the real fortunes are made. And so the third variable here is time delay, right? Between when someone purchases and when they experience the result that you're promising them. Right. And one of the sayings that's been quoted a lot on Twitter is, you know, fast beats free, right? Like you can go to clear and pay for that, or you can wait, you know, an extra 30 minutes in line for TSA. You can walk, you can use Uber, you can try and get viruses on your computer, you can use Spotify, right? You pay for these things because they are faster, right? And so to go back to that weight loss example, just to keep the theme constant here, if you could click on something on the internet and immediately lift up your shirt and have a six pack, how infinitely valuable would that product be? Right. And so one of the easiest way to enter a marketplace is just look at what everyone else is doing and try and do it in half the time. That's it. Or a third of the time. Right. And so in the marketing community, because this is for a lot of marketers, if you have an agency, for example, most agencies make it such a pain in the ass to become a client. Right? They're like, okay, I need to fill out all these forms. I need to send up an over-creative. I need to do X and Y. And it's going to take us 60 days to start ramping up before we start seeing our Y. Imagine the difference between that and the guy who signs the contract and his phone rings within 60 seconds. And it's a qualified lead. Right? How much more infinitely valuable would that be? Much more. Right? And the only difference, even if the exact same thing was going to happen in 60 days, is time. Right? And so if we can cut the speed of achievement down, we, in a very real way, will increase the value of the thing. The fourth variable is effort and sacrifice, all right? And so just to recap, we got the big thing that they want, the dream outcome. We've got the perceived likelihood they're actually going to get it. They're going to get it as fast as humanly possible. And then effort and sacrifice. They're going to get it without having to do anything, right? And so effort and sacrifice, as I define them, are two sides of the same coin. Effort are the things that you must now begin doing that you do not want to do that you must do as a result of the decision of purchasing. Sacrifice are things that you would like to do that you no longer are able to do that you have to cease doing as a result of the purchasing decision. And so I might like sleeping in, but if I now have to go to the gym, 
I have to sacrifice sleeping in. I might have to sacrifice drinking margaritas with my girlfriends, right? Effort might be, I have to now be sore, right? I might have to sweat and be uncomfortable and have people laugh at me because of how bad my form is. Those are all effort things. And so the idea in the perfect world for the maximally valuable product is something that promises a huge increase in status, that they almost are positive that they're going to experience it. It's going to happen immediately and they don't have to do anything for it. And that is the value equation. Yeah. I mean, guys, you probably need to rewind maybe two or three (laughs) times for that just to really let that sink in. But that's what it takes to make that $100 million offer, right? And here's another example I think that everyone can get around here. If you think about Amazon Prime, Jeff Bezos has said before, like we want to make it where it's irresponsible for people to not take it, right? That's what it is. And that's why I think we all have Amazon Prime, right? So that's an example of a, that's a couple billion dollar offer right there, right? Probably more than a couple billion dollars, but that's what it takes, right? So I guess going into, I don't want to brush past this because I mean, Vanderbilt, you went to a great school, you did management consulting. And when I first saw your stuff, by the way, I was like, he probably was a management consulting Um, because of how, yeah, you're very systematic in your thinking, right? So you know, a lot of people that come from management consulting are like, oh, we'll never do that again. Pain in the ass. But I feel like there's still a lot that you've learned from it because I can see that in your patterns, right? Do you want to speak on that for a minute? What do you think? So the frameworks piece, I didn't learn from management consulting. The thing that I did learn is the learning process because that was the biggest takeaway I got from my two years that I did. I mean, I was working on space cyber intelligence, so there was nothing even business related. It was all public sector. But The main thing was we would go, we'd get signed up for a project for $4 million to tell the military how to best use satellites against to kill the most amount of bad guys. So it's it's how do you optimize force mix against assets, right? Or sorry, assets against targets. And so we're like, I'm 22. What do I know, right? Am I allowed to cuss on here? Yeah, totally. So, you know, to quote Ruth from Ozarks, like I didn't know shit about fuck when it came to that stuff. So I was like, you have to go in. And so, and here's the funny thing. Neither did anyone else I worked with. And that was what was crazy. And so what was sold to the government was the process. And the process was, we'd ask the highest person up, give us the five people who you think would be the smartest on this topic, right? We'd go fly out to those people. We'd sit down with them for two hours and say, how do you think it should be? And they would tell us all the things that are wrong with it and all the things that they should be like. And then we talked to all five of them and say, hey, do you have five people? And then they would give us five people. And then we talked to those five. And so that is the process. And then eventually the same names start coming up. And the same solutions, like you don't hear any more solutions. And then at that point, this is in my job, because I was the lowest guy on the totem pole, is that I would have 600 pages of notes from a zillion interviews, right? And then the first step was to recategorize them by topic. And then after that, it would be to consolidate them. And then that was when you know I would basically present it to the principal. And then the whole team would read through it now, consolidated and organized as you know, what do we now think using our brains from the outside, not jaded by having been in the space for 25 years because they have their own limits that they see because they see everything from their perspective. And then we would then create a 20 deck slide deck that would get presented to the four star, whoever, you know, commissioned the thing. And it would be like 30 minutes. And that 30 minute presentation took, you know, six months to give that information of like, this is the solution to your problem. And so for me, when I was trying to figure out like, how do we run the gyms better? I would talk to, I'd say, hey, of all gyms that have less than 3% monthly churn, you're invited to this round table. I would spend two hours interviewing all of them, figure out all the things they did. And then I'd figure out the commonalities that every one of them did. So they all have a list of 25 things, but they all shared five. And then those five would become the actual thing that we would roll out community-wide as the retention system. And so that's you know, how we systematically solved each of the problems or the bottlenecks or the holes within the business models. And so we've now done, you know, that's the process 
to find these things out. And that's why I'm really excited for acquisition.com because I want to apply that same process of, well, I need a hundred companies that I can do this with and I can have all the data in real time mm-hmm. uh, in order to really put all that information together and then hopefully publish it so everyone can have it for 99 cents. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, that's a freaking, I mean, that's not even just a framework for, it is a recruiting framework right there, but it's a framework for building like a lot of great things, right? So that's, I actually never knew that before. So that's killer. That's why I did my gym model. I talked to a zillion gym owners before I started it. And then when, even when I started it every weekend, because I didn't know anybody in California, I drive out to a gym owner two, three hours away. And I would just sit there and just take note. Hey, why do you do that first? Why do you do that second? And like, they would just tell me. And sometimes I get, you know, I'd go there and I'd get one thing and it was like, oh, that's awesome. And I did, I drove out to Vegas actually. And I got this, I'll tell you what the nugget was because it changed my business forever. When we would sell these front end programs, the key was, I was like, how do I make the money disappear? Because otherwise, if they got the money back, it would take me, you know, three months or four months of free service if they like wanted to credit it towards staying with me. And I was like, it's, it was a problem. And he's like, oh, I just take it. And he said it offhandedly. He wasn't even facing me. He was walking. He's like, oh yeah, we just take it. And we just roll it towards a year right off the top. He's like, so if it's you know 600 bucks, it's 50 bucks a month for a year. So then all I did was I just jacked my price up by $50 a month. I took the $50 credit, wiped it across the top. And then we fell back down to what my normal membership was. It was like little nuggets like that, that I'm like, it changed the entire recurring nature of my business. And so that's what I would go and interview for. And from the consulting world, it is faster to consult experts than it is to read books because they've already consolidated the information. They've already sifted through the internet for you. Wow. Now in my mind right now, I'm like, where can I go hire a bunch of management consultants? <laughs> right? So Because I didn't know that that's what the process was. That's fascinating. I don't know if I'd had the patience. I guess, I mean, part of doing these interviews, I get the nuggets, right? But it's not exactly the same thing. So a couple more questions and we can work towards wrapping up here. So when you think about you know, investing in these three to $50 million a year businesses, how are you thinking about how to structure these deals right now? Like they're probably going to use like, okay, I know who you are. I watch your videos and all that. I love you. But how do you make a hundred million dollar offer to them? So we just do it as a guarantee around growth. And so it's like, I'll give my stuff back to you in two years if we haven't achieved X, Y, and Z. And it depends on the business. But it's like, you know, what do I think is reasonable that we can achieve in a 24 or 36 month time horizon, which is usually what we would like especially the bigger it is, the longer it's going to take, you know, a tiny company, you can double in six months, you know what I mean? But like, if it's, they're at 20 million, getting them to 40 million might take, you know, three years or five years. So we set the goal, we have some level of, you know, cash flow that we get to, you know, participate in throughout that process. But for most of these guys, the goal is to build a sellable enterprise. Mm -hmm. And the goal is a sellable enterprise, not necessarily to sell it, but to build a company that could be sold. Because then, you know, no one wants to sell their company until somebody gives you a $100 million check and then all of a sudden you start thinking, maybe I want to sell my company, right? Yep. And so we'll either do some sort of convertible debt note because that way I don't have to agree on valuation because everyone gets all weird about that. So it's like, here's this money. You know, we don't know what the company is worth. So, but this is what the money comes with. So it's kind of like smart money. That's kind of how I see it. Got and it. then so some you- option towards the exit. Got it. So you do the note and it converts on like, you know, when it reaches this revenue or enterprise value or whatever. And then yep. on top of that, you're collecting like a monthly fee on top of that? Basically. Got it. It's a percentage. Yeah. It's usually a percentage of revenue. Got it. Cool. So that's very simple, right? And I mean, that kind of is a hundred million dollar offer because it's such a no brainer because he's like, he or she has seen you do it. Whatever business owner has seen you do this with three businesses or four businesses already, right? So when you think about, I mean, I do want to talk about kind of your, I posted Layla's, I reposted Layla's story today from IG about your relationship. And I think it's fascinating whenever you publish those videos to YouTube, because I'm like 99.9999% of people will never do what you guys did, but I think it's great, right? So can you talk a little bit about that and how your relationship has worked out? Because I think it's like one of the, I told you guys in person, it's like a perfect relationship. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'll just tell Layla that. 
So we just had an atypical matchup because we met on my first date with her. I said, listen, you know, whether this works out romantically or not, I think you should work with me because I just recognized that she had so many skill sets that were complementary to mine. I was like, we could make a ton of money together. And so I got her to quit her job. It took about three weeks, but I got her to quit her job and then join me and then make twice as much money. So it was a fair offer, right? And then it was about, you know, nine months later, I just, you know, gym launch was growing like crazy and she was integrally involved. And it, it got to the point where it was like, I owned 100% of the company and she owned nothing and she was helping me build it working every hour of the day. And it just, it didn't seem right. And so I was like, well, I think we should discuss marriage. And that was literally like, that was what it was. And so I actually made a proposal. It was like a true offer. I said, you know, you like fitness, you like business, you're three years younger than me, you're in shape and you're Persian. I was like, I don't know if I could find a better match. And you like operations. And I'm like, for more of the position side, so we're a perfect marriage to use the term twice from a business perspective. And I think we can learn the romance because we didn't really have it. We were just working all the time building this thing. And so she just, she basically just said, I agree with you. I think it wouldn't make any sense for us not to get married. It's too logical. And we can figure out the romance stuff later. And that's, that's pretty much what it did. And it took us probably another year or two to really learn the elements of how to create romance in a relationship that was very much based on mutual respect. And I think that that's been, that was the difference. This is me just talking to all the entrepreneurs who are listening. It's like I'd had a million big chemistry relationships, you know what I mean? Of like, wow, the stars are aligning and like, I can't stop thinking about you. I can't sleep and you know, all that. And this was not like that at all, but it was all based on respect. And so I was just like, I respected the contribution she could make and that she was making. And I think that that's been kind of the bedrock is that we just have mutual respect. And so that smooths over a lot of things. And it also makes the relationship a lot less tumultuous. I mean, you freaking said it, right? Love is a verb and you have to take action every day on it. And I thought that was perfect. I, by the way, a bunch of girls are giving me shit right now about that video, right? It's like, don't you think it should be like this? Don't you think it should be like this? And so I'm having to kind of defend right now, but uh, I think it's great. Everyone follow Layla Hormozzi on Instagram. Also follow Alex too, just his last name. So I think I have like three more questions from my side. When you think about your entire investment portfolio right now, you have equities, you might have crypto, which I don't think you have crypto, but you have businesses, yeah. right? So what percent- like in crypto. A little bit or no? I said, yeah, I have a couple of million bucks. Okay. But, so how do you think about your asset allocation right now? Like how's your portfolio built up? Yeah. So we're about one third in indexes. We're about a third in real estate. I've got... And then of the remaining third, I'm actually a little under on my real estate. I'm trying to allocate more towards that. But the goal is to get to a third in real estate, mostly multifamily. I'm just kind of looking for indestructible stuff. Like I'm not really looking in both of those first two buckets, the first two thirds, I'm not looking for any kind of rainmaker returns. Well, preservation... Yeah, it's all preservation there. The other one third is kind of where I probably I expect to get almost all of the growth. And you might be like, well, why don't you do that for everything? I'm a pussy. I don't know, whatever. You know, I just I don't want to lose money. And you, you know, don't need to do that. Yeah. And I think about this as like upside downside. It's like if I lose all my money, that would have a material effect on my life. If I triple the amount of money I have, that will have almost no effect on my life. So, you know, that's what I'm optimizing against. Of the remaining, you know, third, I have like 10-ish percent that I put towards spec stuff. So like I would put crypto in that bucket, you know, NFT, any kind of totally risky shit that is really just because I'm an entrepreneur and I can't stay away. But I, you know, it's limited to like 10%. And then the other stuff is all, I actually don't count the equities within that. That's just like my liquid assets. The other aspects there are kind of like the options, the notes, the... And I have a lot of cash because I just like to... If I see a good deal, I want to be able to go all in on it. 
I love that. Yeah. By the way, I don't think there's any, for anybody listening to this, there's no right or wrong answer. I think it's just good to listen to different perspectives and then you can form your own thoughts. That's the most important thing here. That's why we're doing this. So long-term wealth plan. I know you made a video about you and Layla kind of giving away everything at the end of the day. And I've learned recently, there's two terms here. There's effective altruism and earn to givers. Did you hear about these two terms before? I have never. I'm really interested. Google it after. I mean, so I'm looking into, there's like entire organizations or websites. So how are you thinking about giving everything away? Because we kind of talked about this in person, right? And why? So I think the first piece is, I don't think that anyone benefits from being tremendously wealthy if they did not earn the money. And so, you know, I like magic. So my favorite magic card is Burning Wish. And the flavor text is, she wished for a weapon, but not for the skill to wield it. And ah. so picture of this kind of devil giving this super powerful weapon to this small girl. And she wished for the weapon, but not the skill to wield it. And it's clearly like way bigger than she is. And I kind of see money that way. It's like if you give a 19-year-old a billion dollars, it's just too much power. You know what I mean? It's too much power, like potential energy. It's really what it is. I mean, the money is just captured energy, right? And so I don't think it benefits anyone. And so for my own progeny, if I were to have progeny, I don't think it would benefit them. I think I can you know, pay for education and stuff like that. But beyond that, I don't think... Because like I want them to have the hunger. And that comes from lack. And that comes from deficiency, not from surplus. And so that's on the personal side. I don't think we'll have kids unless something changes radically. Who knows? But like, I don't think we're planning on having kids. And so if I don't believe in giving it to my own progeny, and I don't even plan on having progeny, then it's like, well, I'm going to have all this money when I die. What do I want to have happen with it? Am I going to just give it to a relative? I think it's the same issue. And so I think it's much more about like, can I tell you a quick analogy yeah, that please. illustrates my thoughts on this? So I feel like all of us as entrepreneurs or humans are given like one token, right? And it's a token that we can go to enter the casino, right? Which you can just see as like the game of life or whatever you want to see. And maybe this is influenced by me being in Vegas for so long now. But you enter the casino and you pull up a chair and it's a poker table. And everyone there has different chips. They've been playing for different periods of time. And you start playing, right? And you have to play the cards that you're dealt because those are the cards that you're dealt, Right. And you play over the years and you start you know, accumulating and amassing chips over time. And the only difference between that story and the real life is that at the end of the game, you have to walk away from the table with your chips still on it. And then the patron comes over and just dumps all the chips in the middle of the table and they get redistributed again. And I think that that's... I mean, I remember when I bought this piece of land in Austin that I thought it was so silly that it had been owned, I'm using quotes here, by guys before me, like hundreds of people before me had bought and owned this piece of land, but like the land was still there and it hadn't changed. It was just, it had a different stamp on it. And then that guy five generations ago thought he owned it and now he's dead and six generations from now he's been forgotten. And so I expect to be forgotten. I don't think anyone's going to be remembered because I think maybe 5,000 years from now, we will be the Americans, just like the Babylonians and the Sumerians and like, no one's going to remember anything. So it's just like, you know, might as well try and do some good for other people, mostly because it probably just makes me feel good. Wow, dude, I freaking love this card. I mean, I'm, I'm going to add this to it. Like, I don't know if I told you, I'm working on an NFT project right now and this needs to go in there. Like that quote is perfect. Burning wish, everyone, go check it out. All right, two final questions and you can work towards wrapping up. So favorite business book that is not authored by you? Oh yeah, Ready, Fire, Aim by um, Michael Masterson. Got it. That one's good. There's Ready, Fire, Aim. Never mind. I got it confused with The War of Art or whatever. And what is one thing you've added in the last year? It could be like a Peloton bike, could be an app, could be whatever. What's something you added in the last year that's been super helpful? Honestly, it'd be people. But I don't know if that's the right answer. Like, that's Yeah, it's an acceptable answer. Like, Because all the biggest improvements in my life has come from good people coming into it. Perfect. And so I'll follow up on that one. What's been one super effective way of you meeting these people? I have one rule for networking, which is 
I do everything in my power to accept the first invite. I think it's like, if you think about like a peripheral connection, let's say, you know, somebody and they introduce you to 30, right? There's usually some sort of text exchange that happens. And then one kind of ask or reach out of like, Hey, you want to take, you got 20 minutes later, or you want to meet at lunch tomorrow. If you can't make that happen, the likelihood that you're going to ever see that person drops, I feel like by precipitously. And so I really prioritize accepting the first ask, even if it's inconvenient for me, because from there I can earn enough goodwill that I can leverage into like a future thing. Yeah. But like, if you don't do that one, and I actually learned that when I was really young, but it served me really well from a networking wow. perspective. It's always say yes to the first ask. That's super smart. I love that. I mean, I think we probably need to do a round two sometime, but Alex, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? at Hermosi on Instagram, or you can Google my name and it will come up on Amazon and probably YouTube. It's probably the first two things that will come up. So go get the book guys. And yeah, final thing, uh, feel free to tweet at me. If you want me to do more interviews like this, we don't do many, but we make exceptions for great people like Alex. So that is it for this one, Alex. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Honored to be here. Appreciate it. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.